All right, let me open us up with a word of prayer and we'll uh, get started this evening. Lord God, we thank you uh, for your love and kindness to us each and every day, uh, for the opportunity and privilege to gather as your people this evening uh, to uh, think about our families and about our broader church family and our our own lives as children in the family of God. Uh, Lord, continue to teach us and grow us as parents, as grandparents, uh, as covenant parents. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the blessing of our own children, our covenant children, uh, children of this community. Uh, Lord, continue to draw the hearts of the children to their parents and the parents to their children. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good to have everybody uh, tonight. Uh, <clears throat> I, was, uh, I was tasked by the children's ministry team. Now that I no longer lead the children's ministry team, they tell me things they still want me to do. I don't understand that. Um, but they asked me to kick off this uh, fall um, with a, a, a parenting talk, but a very specific one, a very specific one uh, with seven questions that hopefully, uh, if you saw an email, you saw them, uh, that revolve around the connection between uh, our, your own family and our broader church family and how God has designed that uh, to be our family of God together. Uh, and so I, I chose um, to start answering those questions um, kind of with my title. Uh, <clears throat> and the title of this particular talk that I've not given anywhere before, so this is opening night here, uh, is uh, entitled The Family Way, God's Yours and Ours. Um, now, I've, I've kind of combined two elements, two shows. Uh, anybody know the first show that I've, I'm using in that title? Anybody? It's not Family Guy, by the way. It's not, that's not in it. Maybe the second half's easier. You've heard of Yours, Mine, and Ours. I kind of a spin out of that. So that's that one. But the first half, what was that? What? The other one's a show, and it, it's become uh, my wife's and I's favorite show over the last many years, Call the Midwife. Anybody seen Call the Midwife? Anybody? Good, good, all right. Um, love that show, love that show. And um, <clears throat> even though I've seen uh, way too many babies being born, I have to say that, every, you know, every show, just way too many babies, too, that's just too much. But what I love about the show uh, is it is really all about family, um, and if you, again, watched it, you'll know that this show is set back in the 50s and 60s in the east end of, of London, the more poor end uh, of, of that city. And um, <clears throat> in that part of the world at that time, whenever a woman became pregnant, she was said to be in the family way, uh, in the family way. And I just love that. I mean, it almost tempted me to, to want to have another child just to, so someone could say, hey, Marty's in the family way, but she, we're not doing that. Um, but it's so wonderful of a description when you stop and think about it, right? The, the move from being a couple, right? Just you and me, honey, to being a family, right? You go from marriage into family, um, and you are then having a family sort of way, right? Uh, and so the other thing that I love about that show is it's a picture to me of what we're talking about tonight. It's a picture to me that the family um, was not created, or parents were not created by God to raise their children alone in their own bubble, in their own vacuum, on their own shoulders. Uh, but as believers, we are placed in a broader family, in a church family, in a community, and then an even broader family in the kingdom of God as children uh, together, brothers and sisters together. Uh, and so <clears throat> uh, it's a beautiful picture in this show. Again, if you watched it, you need to watch it. How much not only do the midwives and the nuns uh, love uh, uh, being uh, part of the process of giving birth to those children. They also come alongside the family pretty much the rest of their life in raising those children and offering them you know, medical help, but even emotional, mental help uh, along the way. Um, and as much as they'll allow it in the show, some level of spiritual help. But it's really a picture of what the church should be, surrounding families. Uh, and so again, this uh, talk is about that. It's about uh, the, making the firm connection, not only in your mind, but in your hearts and in your behaviors and your attitudes between your family, 
the church family and, again, the broader family of God. Um, and so in that sense, this is also uh, what we have committed to several years ago is one time a semester on Wednesday nights we do a culture talk. And while we didn't entitle this a culture talk, it really is because it is countercultural. Our, our culture... Uh, has nothing to do much about the family of God and certainly has less and less to do with the church family as being anything essential, important uh, at all. More, pe- more and more people are unchurched, dechurched, right? We're hearing that all the time. And so we have then people redefining family all the time, sadly, right? And so we're here tonight to affirm, and I'm here to encourage you, uh, not just in your personal parenting, which is very important, Um, but how that connects uh, to what the church does coming alongside and leading you in these efforts as well uh, as a church family. And so before I get into the seven questions, and that's going to mean I'm going to move really fast to get through all seven questions. They always give me too many questions. Um, I want to offer three foundational assumptions. You know, you you, you never want to uh, assume more than when you have more than one person in the room (laughs) that we all agree on things. And so we're going to, we're going to agree on these three things. Uh, first assumption I'm going to hold tonight is if you are a parent, God has given you the chief responsibility to disciple your child, to raise your child, to raise your child according to his ways. Uh, you, uh, are the primary, you have the chief responsibility to do that. So I hope you own that. Uh, I hope you know that it's not anybody else's it's yours first. But the second assumption is uh, the local church uh, you are a member of, um, and if you're a member here at Pear Orchard, this church is your family too. We are your family. The church is not just a, uh, a, an entity made up of a bunch of families. We're described in Scripture as a family. And so as a family, uh, your children belong to us, right? Uh, they're covenant children. They belong to the church family. Your primary first. We're here, though, as the broader church family. And then third assumption is our shared desire uh, as the church, <clears throat> as well as each, each individual family, hopefully, is to see our, ch- our children, all of our covenant children, adopted into the family of God. Right? That's our first and foremost desire, that all of our children would come to saving faith, that God would become their father, that Jesus Christ, their eldest brother, right, and, and their Lord and Savior. Uh, and so again, we're, we're going to hold those three <clears throat> uh, together firmly in everything we talk about tonight and weave them together, all right? So here we go. We're going we're gonna to dive into seven questions. Does everybody have one of those infographics? I, uh, John Harvey passed around. Everybody got one? All right. Um, you can just hold that in front of you. We're not going to read it, but we're going to have it as kind of a, a, a visual aid, all right, to, to cue some things. So the first question given to me is uh, really an easy question, uh, uh, being sarcastic. What is the role of the Christian parent in raising children? <laughs> okay. Wow, all right, we have days for that, right? Uh, my last talk that I gave here uh, that I think you can still get on the website, we covered that very much in depth last fall in our parenting talk on a Sunday night, that la- our let's talk about parenting uh, subject last, uh, last fall. So I'm uh, not going to spend a lot of time on this first one, but I wanted to leave you something practical to remember. Uh, and I'm going to do that several times uh, through this, some Uh, a few things, a little list uh, to give you things here. Because as I mentioned, your role, if you want to just put it in uh, a summary statement, is you're the lead discipler. You're the lead teacher, right? You're the lead teacher. Uh, Our children look to us first to have an understanding of who God is and what this world is all about. So you're the lead. Uh, And yet uh, in this role, I want to give you five major tasks. That's all you got, five tasks. If you're accomplishing these five tasks, Write them down, put them up on the refrigerator, say, okay, those are my five tests. Those are your focal points. I got to always be doing these five things. And I sound like I'm selling a self-help book here. If you just do these five things, you'll be great. Right? So here we go. Five things. And it's under the rubric of show and tell. Anybody like show and tell when when they were kids? Do they do show and tell in school anymore? No? We're not allowed to do that? Something's wrong with that? Probably politically incorrect to do show and tell, bring a frog in or something and talk about your pet. 
Love show and tell. So show and tell means you have to be showing these things to your kids and telling these things, right? It's, it's word and deed. So number one, responsibility. Show and tell them God's word. Pretty simple. First on your list. Like, that's my role. I'm responsible to show and tell them God's word. I'm, I need to read it to them, teach it to them, talk about it, discuss it, answer their questions. I need to be a good storyteller, <clears throat> uh, even if I don't. I'm not the most articulate person, uh, but I have to uh, show them God's word and the authority of God's word in our life as a family, in their life every day. Show and tell them God's word. Number two, show and tell them the discipline of God's law. Right? Show and tell them the discipline of God's law. You have to show them God's law, teach them God's law. They need to know God's moral law, not just the Ten Commandments from Genesis to Revelation, the entirety of God's word. From the Old Testament to the commands of Christ, they need to, you have to show it to them in your discipline and you have to talk about it. Uh, they need to be disciplined with that law, with rules that are grounded in scripture. They need structure, stability, tutoring, if you will, on who God is. Show and tell them the discipline of God's law. Number three, show and tell them the depths of their sin. Uh, something that is, again, kind of not allowed in our culture. Like you're not supposed to tell kids they're little sinners because that will hurt their feelings or hurt their self-esteem. But we know different, right? It just should go without saying in this place. Uh, but we should tell them we have to talk a lot about sin. We have to show them their sin. We have to... Um, <clears throat> Again, not treat them as innocents or victims uh, or perfectly good angelic beings, right? Um, they need to be shown their sin. Of course, we do it with grace and love uh, and truth, um, but we do it, uh, we show and tell them their sin. But fourth, we show and tell them Jesus, right? We show them Jesus. Uh, we point them to Jesus. We, we should never point our child's sin out without in the same conversation showing them Jesus, right? That's just a, a basic gospel principle, right? We can, we can turn into shame parents and nagging parents, and I've done plenty of that myself if we're just showing them their sin and we don't show them Jesus. Uh, we have to show them their Savior. We have to point them there. We have to tell them about Jesus. <clears throat> uh, we have to tell them that they're an utter failure, and that's why they need Jesus. So you're allowed to say those words to them. You're an utter failure, but... Nobody laughs at that? No one smiles about that? Um, yes, we need to tell them those things. We need to show and tell them Jesus. And finally, we need to show them and tell them how to pursue a heart of wisdom. How to live wisely. And this goes from the beginning, if you have little ones, all to those who are already parenting uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers and above. Um, we have to always say, I need to uh, show them wisdom by when they're looking at me, they're looking at a wise life. <clears throat> and I need to tell them wisdom, teach them wisdom, not just have them figure it out on their own, uh, not just try to survive in this world, but how do you live in this world wisely? So if you look at your infographic, you'll see some of that mixed into the discipleship goals at the top. We have goals here at the church, but goals that we want you to, to hold on to. And, and in that sense, we kind of made them uh, surround them uh, kind of by the years uh, that they're growing. So all these five show and tell things are a process. Our process that starts in little ways, in little words, in small discipline that just grows and grows. So those are your five show and tells, which leads us to the second question. The obvious question that we need to connect here is if that's the role of the parent, uh, what is the role of the church? What is the role of the church family uh, when it comes to raising uh, your children? Because hopefully you recognize <clears throat> um, that when a child is brought forward here at Pear Orchard and uh, other churches around the world for covenant baptism, uh, it's a beautiful thing for us to watch on Sunday mornings, right? It's a beautiful thing for parents to be a part of. They bring their families, um, they're charged as parents, we baptize their children but always remember that as much as the parents take solemn vows uh, to raise their child in the fear and admonition of the Lord, so does the congregation. Uh, and it's, you know, the, the question goes out, right, at the fifth question of the questions. Will you as a congregation come alongside these parents to help them in the raising and the parenting and whatever the language we use of, of these children? Uh, raise your hand. 
And guess what? Everybody raises their hand, right? Do you raise your hand? Everybody raise their hand because we're all caught up in the moment. We're like, oh, this is wonderful. This is sweet. <laughs> this is special. No, hopefully it's more than just being caught up in the moment. Hopefully you take that serious. I've always loved Pastor Carl's done it forever, and Caleb says it sometimes. Pastor Carl will kind of look around and like, look, look how big your family is. You know how Carl does that, right? Like, look how big your family is. Suddenly, it's not just the four of you up here or the five of you up here. It's, you know, 300 people. Do we take that serious? Because we have made a vow. <laughs> when you raise your hand, you're like, I'm going to come alongside and help you Raise your children because, not because I'm benevolent or because I'm such a wonderful parent, but because this child right here coming up here in front of the church is mine too. Now, again, people look at my family and say I would never know what to do with eight children. I didn't know what to do either, quite frankly. Um, and so the thought of not only raising your own kids, but raising three, 400 kids, we don't have that many here. We have about 220 kids under sixth grade. Um, is overwhelming. Well, of course, you might not do a lot of that personally much. Uh, I, I, my kids finally, though, look on the fact that Jeannie Calvercamp for 15 years came every Wednesday to help Marty school them. That was a very tangible way that says, I'm going to help you with your children. Many of you have done things for one another, maybe for close friends, uh, care for kids. Um, we teach Sunday school. We, we, we're in the nursery. There's lots of places that we get to do that. But whatever it is, that you, wherever you find yourself, you have to ask yourself as a, a, an, an adult member of this church, are you taking that vow seriously? Because you have a role. You have a role. You have a responsibility for not just your own children, <clears throat> but for the children of this church. And so the church, again, remember the church, and I hope I don't have to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm not going to make any assumptions. The church is not the pastors and the staff. <laughs> That's not the church. Hey, you, you church people, you have a responsibility to, to do all these things. No, the church is us, right? The church is every professing member and their child. The church is us. So how does the church, back to my question, what is the role of the church family in raising children? Well, two things, two roles, I think. As a church body, yes, starting with the leadership, starting with your officers and your pastors and your staff, our first thing, we come alongside families to help them raise their kids, right? We do that. And we do that purposely. Look at your infomercial, infomercial infographic. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm sounding like an infomercial right now. Uh, look at your infographic. Um, we have all kinds of programming, not, and this is programming purposeful, uh, purposeful programming, not just childcare or babysitting. We ask ourselves regularly, what things can we put in place that will come alongside parents in the discipling of their children so that we are assisting them in that? Um, <clears throat> we also provide resources, which I will get to at the end. I have resources to show that we can put in hands of everybody. Not tonight. I don't have enough for everybody, but they will be available for you. We also offer parenting counseling. All the pastoral staff does. We offer parenting talks, seminars, conferences, right? These are things we're supposed to do as a church for each other, right? To come alongside our families. But the second role we have is we lead to our families. We lead our families. Uh, <clears throat> by example, hopefully, as officers, as staff, as pastors, but also by exhortation and rebuke and correction. <laughs> and these things that the church is supposed to do for one another, right? There's a whole lot of one anothering texts that we have to admonish one another, encourage one another. We're to do that for each other. We're to lead others, right? So, <clears throat> By our choices of curriculum, of resources, by our preaching and teaching, we're leading in that effort too. So I, I hope you see it, the both roles have to be functional, right? Uh, coming alongside, hey, I want to help. We need to help you in what you're doing. But other times we're showing you, you need to be doing this. Like we're not just coming alongside and helping you with whatever you need. Right? We're saying, no, you need to do this, right? This is essential, not in a superiority way, but hopefully in humility, um, in leadership. So two roles there again, uh, coming alongside as well as leading. 
All right, the next few questions are fun. Let's go to the third one. What does it look like for children to be true members of the church family? Let me say it again. What does it look like for children to be true members of the church family? It's a great question. It kind of uh, begs a, a lot of different questions. But let's just start with a all-too-real scenario. Uh, there's a family with four children. One of the children uh, works overtime to avoid all the regular times with the family whenever the family is together. Uh, he skips dinner regularly. Uh, he's out the door before breakfast. He never comes down to family movie night on Friday night. Uh, <clears throat> when he is actually with the family, his face is in a screen and his earbuds are in as loud as possible. Again, is this scenario all too real in America today? You might say, well, he's a teenager. Uh, what if I was describing a five-year-old? Would that be a little more troubling? <laughs> uh, yes, because we kind of, sadly in our families, they kind of assume older children will start to detach from the family. But what's, let's even make it more an extreme analogy. What if that child was doing that, those things right when they got out of the womb? I think it'd be kind of funny to see a child, a child with a one month old with earbuds and a screen in front of his face. Uh, but I hope you understand uh, the analogy because the question is, would you say that child is a member of the family? You would say, of course, it's a member of the family because he's got my DNA. Uh, I'm his mom. I'm his dad. Uh, of course he is. But just because he's been born to us, has our DNA, sort of lives in our home, has our last name, is he a member of the family? Anybody? No. He's not a member, right? Uh, he's something else. I don't know what it is, uh, but he's more of a visitor. <clears throat> uh, so the sad reality, too many adult Christians treat the church this way, right? Church is something I, I come once in a while. Um, I, I profess membership here. I went through the class. I, I met with the elders, but I only show up once in a while. When I'm here, I'm kind of in and out. Um, <clears throat> now, it's one thing when an adult chooses that. They're adults, right? If they want, if, don't want to be ugly here, but if an adult Christian wants to act like an orphan, like they're really not a member of the church family, fine. That's your prerogative. Um, but it's a whole much of, of a bigger problem when Christian parents raise their children that way when they give their children <clears throat> the idea uh, that the church is not really their family, that the church is something you go to once in a while if you're able, um, but it's not really your family. All right, I see all the sad faces here. I'll stop pounding the negative. Let's turn it positive. Let's turn that positive. Let's talk about and answer this question, what does it look like for children to really be true members of the church family? Because remember, um, the beauty, or I hope you know, the beauty of the Reformed uh, Presbyterian view of the church is that we, under, we believe that children are members, uh, not on their, based on their own profession, right, but on the fact that their parents are professing members of the local church. Uh, I, I've made this analogy before, but my, my, uh, every single time I teach communicants class and I ask the kids, are you a member of Pear Orchard Church? None of them ever gets it right unless they've heard from someone else the right answer, an uh, older sibling who's taken the class. But they always think, I'm not a member. I'm like, you don't know that you're a member of Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church? In their mind, they think membership starts when I profess faith, right? When I answer those membership questions, now I'm a member. No, you are a member already. You've been a member ever since you were either born here or you've been raised here. When your parents come here, you are a member. You're just a non-communing member, right? In our biblical understanding, you're not ready to take communion until you're a professing believer, until you can understand what you're doing, right? Um, but you are still a member. And, and do we let that sink in into our consciousness as parents? Do we understand? Wait a minute. They are, <clears throat> they are members of this church. Um, they need to know that. Well, how are they going to know that? Just like my analogy, if they're just kind of hanging out once in a while in the church, coming to one thing but not many things, 
Um, how will they know? So again, they must always be reminded, even as non-communing members, before they make their own profession of faith, that Pear Orchard is their family. Pear Orchard is their church family. And they need covenant parents. They need covenant siblings more than what they have. They don't just need mom and dad. They need lots of moms and dads. Um, they need covenant parents and brothers and sisters. Now we're going to answer the why they need them in a moment. So again, it doesn't make sense if we as parents deprive our children of regular time with their family, regular time with their church family, because do we deprive them of regular time with your own biological family? Do you say, no, I don't want you at family dinner right now, or I only want you to come to family dinner once in a while? <laughs> no, we want them all the time. We want them in our family. Now, please don't hear. I have to stop here for a second. Don't hear some legalistic, you have to be here every time the church doors are open. Does anybody hear that? Please tell me you're not hearing that. Just say no. no. Okay, good. Please. That's not what I'm preaching up here. <laughs> That's not what I'm exhorting or admonishing. I'm not, our, our, your, your kids are not going to get some perfect attendance stars like I got when I was in the Baptist church growing up. Um, <laughs> we're not recording whether they're here or not, right? This is not about performance. This is not about even tonight at guilt trip that says, why aren't you guys bringing your kids to church more? It's starting from, again, the positive view of why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you say my children need their family as much as they need our biological family? They need the church family. Um, <clears throat> again, uh, you know, this is, we know this is hard. We know there are so many things in our world, in our life, you know, this, this, this sort of admonition and encouragement would have been a lot easier uh, 500 years ago or 300 years ago or 100 years ago when maybe there wasn't so much to compete with. But this is the world we live in. We can't go back. Uh, we, uh, <clears throat> we know there's a lot of competition, a lot of good things, right? A lot of other things we either have to do or that we do, choose to do. Um, but... The question still remains, are these other things, are these other communities, are these other activities as good or more important uh, than the church, than being together as a church family, being discipled by that uh, family? So again, we want parents to lead by the example, right? In children's ministry, I was, I was never satisfied with parents who just dropped their kids off and went somewhere else. Uh, and did, or, you know, went out to coffee. I'm like, no, you need to be a disciple too. So this is for all of us, not for just lamenting that the kids need this. They need you to lead by example, and they need you to proclaim that while we are Christ-centered as a family, we're also church-centered uh, because that's the body of Christ. So it doesn't make any sense to be Christ-centered in our thinking about our family and not be local church-centered. <clears throat> so that leads to question number four. All right, and we're doing good on time here. Um, why do children need the church family? Why? Um, <clears throat> because we, that's an easy question if I asked you why they need your family. <laughs> you could answer that pretty easily. Why do they need you? Why do children, well, why can't we, why wasn't it God's model to just um, create individuals and let them wander the earth by themselves and find their own relationships, but he chose to put us into families? Like, why? Why do, why do children need a family? E that's an easy question. So it should be an easy answer for us. Why do they, by use of analogy, why do they need the church family? Again, if we're going to stand on the principle that the church is family, uh, and that children should be prioritized, we should prioritize our children be part of the church family, then again, we're going to have to communicate to our children why. Why is this true? Because there are some of your kids that might tell you, I want to go to catechism. I want to come Sunday night. I don't want to go to Cherub Choir. They might say those things. I want to go to Sunday school. Uh, and you might be going, oh, I can't, we can't really commit to that. We have other things. But a lot of times it works the other way too. It's you saying, we're going to go Wednesday night, and the kids are going, ah, <laughs> uh, I got studying, I got to do things, I, I'm tired, I, I don't feel like it, whatever. So we need a reason. We need reasons. We need to show and teach by word and deed um, why they need their families. Because again, there are people, there are Christians uh, that either say it or live it 
or argue it that all children really need is their biological family, that any other group is just optional, right? It's just what you decide to do. Um, <clears throat> but again, some parents don't say that, but they live that way. And they communicate to their kids that there are groups outside the church family that are far better, that are far superior uh, to their church family. Um, again, um, we have to be able to look at our kids and give an apologetic. This is what I'm arguing for, right? An apologetic of why they need the church family. And so I'm going to be practical here again. I'm going to stop and be practical. I'm going to give you, let me make sure, four things on my list. Four whys. <laughs> four what they need. That, yes, they get some of it from you, but not all of it from you. Uh, if you could do it all, you wouldn't need us. We wouldn't need us. Number one, they need the church family to teach them how to worship. Now, again, you can teach them how to worship. You should be teaching them how to worship. But part of how you're teaching them to worship is by bringing them to worship corporately, right? You can have family worship. and We should. Pastor Caleb says you should. So I shouldn't say uh, you can. You should. You should, have fa you should have family worship. But you teach them how to worship when you gather in corporate worship. Because all you have to ask yourself is, what if I was bringing my, church, my children every day to another kind of church? Just pick one. I don't care. Roman Catholic church, Mormon church, <laughs> um, Mormon not church. I know I'm not calling it church. Um, if you just decided I, week, on a weekly basis we're going to go to that church, would they learn to worship differently than here at Pear Orchard? Everybody? Yes. So there's a learning here. There's a teaching here. There's an educating. There's a discipling. Simply by your children are sitting in this space, week in and week out, Sunday morning, Sunday, they're, they're being taught how to worship. Uh, <clears throat> and again, um, they need the corporate sense of that because this might be a little tangent, but it, this is where my mind goes. As I'm looking at children and how things are changed, yes, you know, at my age now, I'm able to be the old guy. Um, <clears throat> When, when we're, by the way, having all these discussions in the church, by the way, in, among the staff of like who exactly are the young adults, I'm like, I'm not even close. Like I, so there's no argument here. Um, so I know I'm an old, I'm not even a middle adult. I'm an old adult. All right. So I'm able to look back and go, my goodness, from my first child that was born 30 years ago, wow, have things changed? Wow, have, has parenting changed? And, and wow, has enter, have entertainment practices changed dramatically? Right, the, the old-timey, let's gather around uh, the family television, one, or around and sit around and read a book or do an activity together. Now kids are raised in a culture where they do everything alone, or most things alone, right? They have their own screen, their own choices of, of music, their own choices of media, um, their own activities. They're learning to be self-learners, right? That I'm going to learn myself. So again, it might sound like a tangent, but we can't treat worship like that. That you can worship, learn to worship all on your own. We'll give you a little YouTube video and show you what worship is. No, right? Not a, not a TikTok video uh, to learn. See, I'm hip. Um, not a TikTok video. <laughs> uh, uh, not that old. Um, they can't just learn that way. They learn by gathering with other worshipers who are worshiping the same God in the same way, right? <clears throat> and so children need to worship, learn to worship, and they do that as a church family. Secondly, they need the church to teach them how to live life. They need the church. Now, again, you're going to pause right there in your own head and go, wait a minute, I'm, I'm doing pretty good teaching them how to live, and I, I hope, I'm sure you are, and I, I hope, pray you are. But can't again, are we, do they not need more than you to teach them how to to live. Again, look at scripture. So much is in the New Testament, one anothering language. We learn by one another. One another, we need each other to teach us. And so in that way, I always argue the church uh, image, the several images of the church given to us in scripture, we're, we're shown the church as family, the theme of tonight, but we're also shown the church as school. The church is a school. Uh, and again, as much as we can see kids learning independently. We know they need others. 
right? A bunch, a much of learning is social. Much of learning is being around other people. Uh, examples, right? Exemplary learning, modeling, all these things happen together. So again, you certainly teach them how to live the Christian life at home, but they needed the church as well. Or to put it again in the negative, what is the difference between a child who comes to Sunday school every week and one who never comes? Is there a difference? Is there a different outcome in their life and their future? If we say, nah, not really, <clears throat> then uh, you know, we're shutting down Sunday school. We're like, why are we even doing that? But if we say, yeah, I think there's a difference. Well, what's the difference? Or again, one who comes to Wednesday night catechism all the time and one who rarely comes. Is there a difference? Now again, we are not trying to say that the church does it all. Parents, you know, we just do it for you. Don't forget my foundational assumptions, right? There's where we turn you to the principles. You're still the lead discipler. You still do the lion's share of the work. And yet, is there a significant difference uh, in the discipling uh, of our <clears throat> children? Or let me be just a little more blunt if I haven't been blunt enough. Are these things that we do here uh, in uh, dedicated ministry programming, are they just nice activities? Are they just childcare? Or are they essential learning places that are missed if the child isn't there? That they actually miss things. Just like in school, if they miss half a year, they're going to be behind next year, right? We know that academically in our head. Do we know that spiritually? Uh, character, morally, emotionally, mentally. Again, is their discipleship incomplete if they're not here? Uh, we would say yes. Uh, so they, that's the second thing they need. They need the church family to learn how to live. But they also need, these next two are so essential, they need the church family for identity. Now, hopefully that resonates with you because we are in this cultural battle about identity with our kids in a very dramatic, traumatic way for children today that the message is just sent out. We know it is, right? We know what the message is sent every day through media, through education. Uh, hey, guess what? You choose your own identity, kid. Whatever you want to be, whoever you want to be, however you identify, it's you. <laughs> you get to choose. Nothing scriptural about that, right? Our identity is in Christ. Our identity is what God gives us, right? And so the church facilitates that as identity. So kids are learning, who am I? Well, guess what? We identify with those people we spend the most time with. Anybody disagree with that? <laughs> you spend the most time with your family. So the more time you spend with your church family, it should make sense. That's what is identity shaping. I am a follower of Christ. No, we can't. We can't save these children ourselves. We can't say just because they come to church, they're going to be a Christian. Not at all. But they certainly can identify uh, as a uh, part of the body of Christ. Uh, and so they, hopefully they learn their identities in Christ as a child of God. Again, it's fine for our kids to identify with their school, identify as a member of a sports team, identify as part of a club. But I hope those identities are secondary. I hope when you're looking at your kids like, that's great, but first, <laughs> you are part of the family of God. You are a member of God's family. You are an adopted child of God. You are our child. There's a whole lot of other identities we want them to have, and those are secondary. But if you're spending, your, our children, spending all the time with other communities and other groups, there's where their identity will lie, which leads to the last one. They need the church family for community. The question of identity is, who am I? The question of community is, where do I belong? And boy, isn't that a question for kids as they grow up? Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Who, how, it goes so closely with identity. So again, why do children that come from Christian homes don't value, why don't they value the church as their primary community? Um, well, part of the answer is sometimes they're finding their community elsewhere. Sometimes they've been hurt by the church. Sometimes they come and don't feel accepted. We get all that too. But again, do they really need their brothers and sisters in Christ? or not. Scripture says we do. We need each other. Um, and so being, having our children among God's people regularly reminds them where they belong. Um, uh, and it does for us too, right? We're adults, <laughs> but we still need belonging, don't we? It's like, do I belong? Uh, do I name myself as a Christian and do I belong in this local expression of the body of Christ or not? Which leads to number five. Two more questions and then uh, really a summary question at the end. 
Number five, why do older children need youth group? Hey, now I get to do an advertisement for youth group. Here we go. Um, <clears throat> hopefully, you know the answer to this one. It's all what I just said, right? <clears throat> um, and of course, this question is already biased. Um, but we must ask this question this way because I dare say that many children uh, and then up to their teen years and even many adults would probably say that youth group is a nice option, but not necessarily a need. I don't call it a need. They don't really need it. It's kind of a nice option to go to, especially if you don't have anything else to do. If you've got other better things to do, then it kind of slides down on the cafeteria list of choices. Like, well, I'll get to that, but I've got these other things i got to do or I'd rather do. Um, <clears throat> so, um, Again, your children might choose to go to youth group, but only because there aren't better options. So do we really communicate to our kids? No, you need this. (laughs) You need uh, youth group. So as much as this was a children's ministry talk, I'm moving myself into as your kids get older. And the the last four reasons just apply to this question. Uh, Worship, education, identity, and community. they need that. And the youth ministry, as our leadership has designed it, is meant to meet those things as best as we can. Um, gathering youth for worship, for community, for identity, and for learning how to live. But again, uh, it's, it's even more tempting for youth than it is for children to find their community elsewhere, right? They got friends other places. They feel more accepted other places. Um, but again, there's a reminder we do. we like, that might be true. Your friends might be over here. That's fine. Um, you, you, you enjoy these activities. That's fine. But where is your family? Where are your brothers and sisters? Um, if we've dedicated ourselves to this family, these are your brothers and sisters. Well, I don't like any of those brothers and sisters. Well, guess what? You might not even like your own biological brothers and sisters, but that doesn't matter. They're still your brothers and sisters. And we have to have relationships. So that is actually the fifth point I would add to why we need, uh, why your children need youth group, why it's a necessity. And that's, this is the way, my language. I don't know if it's necessarily the youth ministry's language, but hopefully they'd agree with me. I call youth, the youth group, a necessary laboratory of relationships. It's a necessary laboratory of relationships. Now, you remember college or high school where you took a lecture in a lab, right? Got to have that lab. Like that lab is the thing that fleshes things out, right? works things out. And boy, that's youth group. Because you, our youth group, like probably most youth groups, is a mess. And, you know, there's a bunch of sinners in there. You know, I hate to say it. I've, I've contributed my share of sinners to that group. Uh, <clears throat> but they learn. They learn uh, so many important things that middle and high schoolers need to know, right? Relationships, relationships, relationships. They have to learn to be a friend, to make friends, not just come home and tell you no one likes me, no one reaches out to me. Well, hell, who do you make friends? How do you reach out? Who do you see that's on the fringe that you go over and say, I need to get to know you? Uh, how do you love your enemies? Oh, you're going to pl- make plenty of enemies in there, sadly. Um, how are you a brother or sister to the other sex? Maybe how are you even starting to prepare for a marriage in one day and how you relate to one another? How are you learning to serve other youth? How are you learning to lead other youth? How are you learning to submit to other people? Uh, All sorts of one anothering we have in this laboratory of relationships called the youth group. Um, But really, you know, I've had to help people for a long time with their kids dropping out of youth group because they say the relationships are hard. I get it. I've had children that, that didn't have many great relationships in youth group. Uh, or they think, you know, the youth group should be a safe place because aren't we all supposed to be Christians? Like, have you been to the church? You know, I don't know. Even we can describe the church as a safe place in the sense that we'll never hurt each other or cross each other or exclude each other or be rude to each other, be unkind to each other. We'll do that. We're sinners. So it, it, I would love for it to be safer. But again, uh, it's a laboratory. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, Bunsen burners in there and beakers and, you know, chemicals. There's just a lot of stuff in there. Uh, or again, they argue there's better friends elsewhere. I get it. Other friends. But again, this laboratory is for kids to learn uh, to love and live together. Uh, so our children need it. Uh, they need that as much as anything else. And if, you, if we again think the youth group is just an optional thing, 
Um, we're missing opportunity for to communicate to our kids, that's your family. That's your family, you live with them. Uh, sixth question, I love this sixth question because it, because it comes with 10 points on here. So ready, it comes with <laughs> 10. We're gonna be fast with these, this is good. This is the question. Love the question. When children leave home, so we're even going further. Now we're, we're wrapping this question up, or these questions up with parenting, to when they leave home, what do we want their relationship to the, church, to the church to be? When they leave home, you know, when they go off to college and they really don't have to go to church. Um, what do we want their relationship to the church? Not just Pear Orchard, but the local church. So this is the last question that connects these three areas, isn't it? Your family, church family, God's family. Because we want our children, the first answer to that question is we want them to be a believer, right? That's our number one goal, right? We want them to leave our home as a professing believer uh, in Christ. And thankfully, many of our children make profession of faith and are believers before they leave home. But we want them leaving home with that faith. Um, <clears throat> but beyond that, what are your goals? If you had to sit right now and write down 10 goals for your children when they leave your home, maybe you've done it, it's a good exercise. Try it, but I'm going to give you the 10 anyway, so you don't even have to try. You just adopt these. Simple, right? Here we go. I'm going to give you, these are my options. These are my 10. These are mine and Marty's 10. They're not just my 10. These are, when we come together, what do we want uh, our kids to look like uh, in their relation to the church? You know, we can say a lot of other goals. You know, we want them to be well-educated, have careers, whatever. Be married, have kids, whatever. But what are the 10 goals related to our relationship with the church? So here you go. Number one, that they always be members of a local church. <laughs> Do you have that goal for your kids? Like we want to impress them. It's not, even when you go to college and you're not quite sure where you fit in. And if you want to stay as a member of parish, you're great. But you can become an associate member of another church and keep your membership here. But we want you to be a member of a local church wherever you are. Two, that they will not see themselves as a consumer, but a contributor to the church, right? Hopefully that process you've already started, but you, they need to leave. A goal for them is to leave and recognize that they should never have been a, just a consumer, but they're not just, or put another way, they're not just spectators. They have to be in the game, right? They're not just consumers, they're contributors. <clears throat> Number three, we have the goal that they'll be trained to be leaders, elders, deacons, women's ministry leaders, counselors, pastors, serve on committees. In other words, we push number two into number three. We want you to lead. We want you to leave our home as a leader. Uh, not again thinking, I can't be equipped to minister. We can equip you here, and we want you leaving that way. Number four in our list of goals, if you share them with me, is we want our children to share, to continue the vision that they received here for the marginalized, the disabled, for the suffering. One of our identities as Pear Orchard is we're about the marginalized, disabled, and suffering, right? And some, some of your children, thankfully, are gloriously being raised in, in sunbeams as helpers, as buddies, and they're seeing it for themselves. Well, we want them to leave with that. We want to take them out there and have a heart for the marginalized, disabled, the suffering. Fifth, we want them to leave here as witnesses, as evangelists, as missionaries, comforted, com more being comfortable with sharing the gospel. Is that too big of a goal for an 18-year-old leaving the church? If it seems too big, we got more work to do as a church family and as individual families. But don't we want them to go into the world and be witnesses, evangelists, missionaries? Number six, kind of like number five, but I still like to say it, that they leave our church as disciplers, not just disciples. Go and make disciples. So you're off at school, college, you're off in your first work, you're in your, in your marriage with your kids. Now you're disciplers, right? You're not just disciples. Number seven, that they see all their life under the Lordship of Christ. They leave here with that goal. All of life, all that you're going to do from here on out, decisions you're going to make under the Lordship of Christ. The good thing is this is being recorded if you can't take notes as fast as I talk. 
Number eight, that they love God's word. <laughs> Should be number one, maybe number two, but that they love God's word for themselves. They leave with a love for God's word and they're in it regularly. Number nine, they seek to live a life of personal holiness. Don't we want that from our kids? Not just saying, yes, I'm a Christian mom and dad, um, but I'm leaving this home with no commitment to holiness. No, we want that commitment to holiness. It wouldn't make sense, right? We haven't done well if we don't commit them to a life of holiness. And finally, that they're yoked to other believers in marriage and friendship the rest of their lives. That they're yoked to other believers in marriage, family of their own, and friendship the rest of their lives. We want to communicate that when you leave here, it's not what the world communicates that the end of family life is, right? The end of family life, the world says is, go do your own thing. Now you're independent, right? You get to do what you want to do. You get to live any way you want to live. Now, I've had plenty of adult children, and my wife and I have had to look at each other and go, you know what? They're adults. <laughs> they make their own choices. Yes. But we... Um, Will we grieve when they're not committed to these goals, right? Because this uh, is the heart of parents, the heart, hopefully, of our, us as covenant parents. And so hopefully we grieve for each other when we share that children are not there. But there's certainly goals we set and we, we work towards. And we realize, again, um, the clock is ticking on our raising of our kids all the time. Wherever you are, whether, again, they seem so young and we got a long time, you don't have that long. It goes by so fast. I never believed people when they told me that, by the way, when I had, look, it's going to go by so fast. Like, nah, I'm, I'm ready for this to go by fast. And then suddenly you turn around and you're like, oh, that went by way too fast. But these are the times that we have. I hope these are your goals for your children, uh, these and others connected to that, um, that you can commit with us and we can commit together to strive towards these goals. So the last question is, what sort of resources do we have to help you in this effort? Here we go, here's the selling point. This is really the infomercial now for seven minutes. So you ready? Here's the infomercial. I've, these are my top seven. These are our top seven resources that you may have used, may not. I have show and tell for this. I showed you, I'm just gonna show and tell. So here we go. First one, um, we try to get to all parents who are young. I hope you've read it. I hope it's not just sitting somewhere in your house. If you don't have one, we can get you one. Parenting in the Pew. Been around for a long time. It's even revised and updated. Um, you know, but we've had this as a standard before I got here. So this has been a long legacy given to parents um, that says, hey, it's very important for us to help you do exactly what this says, right? Bring them to worship. It's a, it's a reason we don't have kids' church and we don't have nursery till 10, you know, or whatever. We, we want them in here. We want them in worship, in corporate worship, and we want to parent them in the process of training them to be worshipers. Uh, it says, guiding your children to the joy of worship. Right? So we have that for you. Uh, we also always uh, recommend you have your own catechism sitting in your table. Uh, again, I'm not going to have a show of hands who has one or not. Not a competition. But if you don't have one, always have your little catechism book. Always the opportunity. We, we have the guide we send out to young parents that says, you know, do a certain amount of questions each year and you can kind of get through the, the little catechism. And remember, this is just a little catechism. You can do the older catechism, you know, later when they're teens if you want to. Uh, but catechize your children. We work through the catechism on Wednesday nights though. So we help you. That's the one where we come alongside where as much as you should be teaching them, reviewing them, um, <clears throat> uh, the, uh, this is here, uh, the church is here for you as well. Uh, all right, the other five are mine. I'm sorry ahead of time. I'm, I just, I'm shameless of, Megan made me do this though. So um, I hope everybody has started there. If they, you have young children at home, starting them through investigating God's word at home. Uh, investigating God's home, word at home, of course, goes right along with our Sunday school curriculum from One Story Ministries. Uh, it works uh, all the way through the Bible in 14 volumes. You know, you do one a week or one couple of weeks and you get through it in several years. Um, but work your way through because this, is, this moves you from reading Bible stories when they're young to actually uh, teaching them God's word at your table on a regular basis or in your family room or wherever you do. But investigating God's word at home, necessary for all our parents to have uh, all uh, that, that at home. Um, so this is uh, my newest one. Um, 
Have anybody heard about this yet? Have you heard about Road Talk? All right. If you haven't heard about it, it's my newest one. It's so fun. Um, um, Remember, though, remember all all these resources that I've developed over the years, somebody else, it was somebody else's idea. So this was not my idea, but someone said, hey, you should write something for the car. Um, So I'm like, how can I write something for the car if the person's driving? Like, that was my big hang-up for a long time. Like, what's a parent going to do? Like, I know what parents do. They look at their phones and they drive. I'm like, I don't want to encourage, you know, uh, Bible driving or something. So um, road talk is pretty simple. Pretty simple. It's like, what, what can we do? And of course, it's Deuteronomy 6, 7. Teach God's word diligently to your children as you walk by the way. Well, we're not walking our kids to school. Typically, we're driving them. So in every console across the world, I want to see one of these. That, uh, um, that is basically, this is volume one. It's just, it's, this one goes from Romans, selected verses from Romans through Colossians. And the verse is up on top. So you flip it open. And then there's five questions. Um, and I... I quickly tell the story. This came from my own guilt. Uh, I've I've been now this last year since we stopped homeschooling, I've been driving my 12-year-old, now 13-year-old to school every day. Takes us typically 18 minutes to get to school. I spend two minutes that time asking the obligatory questions. uh, You know, do you have a test today? You know, what's going on? You got practice after, you know, those kind of school questions. And then the next 16 minutes, we listen to 80s music. And so... (laughs) Andrew knows everything about 80s music. I mean, he's so good. And so I'm like, oh, but he doesn't know the Bible. Um, I'm like, what kind of person are you? Uh, so now uh, we do this every morning and it actually works, which I'm glad I wrote it before I tried it on him. But and it actually, actually takes half, of, well, about 12 minutes. I, ours does. But if you have three or four kids, you can share questions and go around. But you have to have a reader. And not you who's driving, so just remember. So Road Talk, I'm working on volume two, and I'm working on Meal Talk, so you can have one at the table. I couldn't call it Table Talk for obvious reasons. Um, but, um, sorry, Arcee's Um So uh, put it on, you know, have one at the table, have one in the car, 99 of these, you'll get through them. Um, do one every, whenever you get in the car, not for long road trips, short ones. Oh, I gotta, I gotta move, we got two minutes. Um, the other one, uh, hopefully, uh, if you have eight to eight to thirteen year olds, they got to have their own devotional. Um, so it's 365 days to learn it, love it, live it, teach it. You can work do it as a family when they're younger, but when they're older, really love for them to go through it by themselves in their own quiet time. Yeah, it's huge, but um, it's it's got to, you know 500 word entries, so there's plenty to read. Moves them through the entirety of the Bible um, through a year. Uh, so. Uh, have one of those. I've got ones in my office if you want one. Um, you have to pay for it, but that's expensive. All right. Um, establishing the faith. This is if you go through communicants class with your, your kids, go through communicants class, you will have to do this with them. It's required, but you can do it well before. It's really geared to about eight, nine years and up, um, but it's 12 conversations to lead your child to profess faith in Christ. Uh, many of you have gone through communicants class and done it, but it's just a, a resource we want every parent to use regularly. Uh, one minute um, podcasts. Um, if you haven't listened to my biblical counseling today, uh, there's parenting stuff in there always. Uh, but I've taken I'm taking a break because another thing that someone told me I'm supposed to do. My oldest daughter said, "Dad, you got to stop that podcast and do a podcast for kids." So I'm like, kids don't want to hear my voice, do they? I'm like, I might put them to sleep in the car or something. Um, like, that's not bad. Um, so uh, launching next week, next Tuesday, twice a week, it's called One Story Time. And it, they're just 10 minutes. They're 10 minutes. And I either share a word that I define for them anywhere from, you know, anywhere from little kids to older kids, whoever's going to listen to a podcast, kids of all ages, um, a word or a hard question. That was her idea. A hard question I answer, hard theological question, you know, when was God born, stuff like that. And then the third one in the rotation is always um, a Bible story linked to telling it from application-oriented sections. So I have like, you know, fearful like Moses or proud like Nebuchadnezzar and try to apply it to their lives. Uh, and so I'm doing two of those uh, a week. Uh, so Tuesday, Thursday, they drop, but we'll be sending out information on that. But you've got podcasts if your kids learn more by listening instead of uh, uh, reading. So um, 731, 
Megan, I, I answered all the questions. Yay. All right. Uh, sorry, no time for your questions, but I planned it that way. All right. Uh, so let me close you in prayer, uh, close the prayer. Then you got to go get your kids. And thanks uh, for being here tonight. Lord God, we thank you uh, for our children, for our covenant children, for the children of this church. We thank you for all of our families uh, that you have drawn us into this one family of, of God. And we thank you for the the worldwide universal church that we're a part of as believers. Uh, Lord, help us as parents take seriously our call to lead our children, to connect our children <clears throat> to the wider family, uh, to embrace that family, and for us as adults to embrace children uh, of uh, ours and others uh, that are really ours uh, in Christ. Lord, help us in these efforts. I pray for each parent here in all what they're doing as lead disciples in their role. Uh, help them to show and tell more uh, who you are and what you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen.